This is Dr. Carissa Hines of Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Information without understanding is not very helpful. Talk with the doctor and feel like you're talking to a friend. Good morning, good morning, good morning, Atlanta. This is Dr. Carissa Hines, and you are tuned in to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. We are broadcasting live on WWE Real 1100 AM. We are also streaming on our Facebook page currently, uh, Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. We're also streaming on our parent page, the Old Fashioned Health Network. So just a few shout outs. Uh, Shout out to Virginia Beach, Virginia, Norfolk, Virginia, Chesapeake, Virginia, Charlotte, North Carolina, Houston, Texas, Seattle, Washington, and our newest uh, listening spot, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. So hello and good morning to all of you all. Thank you so much for tuning in and for your support of this show. So this week we are talking about disability. So I'll tell you a little bit about um, about myself in this range because today this show is just me. Um, so I have been doing disability work, and by disability work I mean um, I've done both sides of the coin, if you will. So I have done work as an adjudicator where I did the exams uh, when people apply for disability. Um, I've worked extensively in the VA for about 10 years um, and also did the reviewer part where I reviewed someone's claim. Um, and determined if they met the eligibility uh, based upon the criteria for disability. So that's about um, 15 years of experience, 15 more than 15 years um, of experience. And so um, I really have a a passion for working with people who are trying to get um, that support. And in that, I founded uh, my own practice, Freeman Moore Medical uh, Consultants, and we are disability experts. Um, We take all kinds of cases. Um, I've done quite a a bit of work with um, people in the Veterans Administration, uh, people that are trying to go through the VA um, to get their um, disability, and that's actually how I got started. So I'll tell you a quick story um, of how I got started doing disability. Um, A friend of mine asked me if I could help her family member, um, her uncle, who um, was trying to get disability for his wife who had passed away. So already you see the challenges there that the person that is actually the claimant um, was deceased um, and had uh, been in the military, had applied for disability as a result of an injury um, and had been declined. Um, and so, you know, I reviewed um, all of her, um, all of her medical information, and wrote an appeal letter, and was successful in getting her disability claim approved posthumously, um, which means that her family got the 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 benefit um, from her um, from her disability. And not only did they get benefit from that point going forward, but they also got some back pay because it had been some years that she had been trying to do disability. And so that was, was quite rewarding uh, to help that family uh, in that way. So today we are talking about disability. So here we go. 
Um, currently, there are about eight and a half million people in the United States um, who receive uh, disabled worker benefits from Social Security. Um, but out of that, so the 8.5 million people are receiving disability benefits, but there are actually 61 million disabled Americans uh, currently uh, in this country. Uh, these payments um, of disability through Social Security um, also support about 117,000 spouses and 1.5 million children because there is a such thing as a survivor uh, benefit. So if your if your spouse um, dies um, and is on disability, there is that uh, survivor's benefit. And of course, if there are any minor children uh, at the time of the claimant's uh, passing, they also get um, uh, some financial support from the government through Social Security. So this part of uh, our country's budget um, in 2018 was $144 billion, um, billion with a B. So that's quite a bit of money. So, of course, there's quite a bit of regulation and haggling back and forth between the, the two parties um, about how these funds are allocated, who gets what, and what the criteria are. So that, that's an ongoing thing. So um, just to tell you, in, in 2019, there were about 2 million new applications for disability. Um, and, and I anticipate uh, now that we are living uh, in the times of coronavirus and we are as we are learning more about what this virus, what being ill with this virus, uh, what it looks like, um, I anticipate that there will be uh, quite a few um, more uh, cases of people being disabled due to, uh, the, due to chronic illness um, secondary to coronavirus. So uh, let's take a, a brief look uh, at the history of, of disability. So what we call Social Security actually has a proper name, and, and, and it's kind of, um, I won't say funny, but just the way things are, the nomenclature that's given to things way, way back when that we kind of would, would you know, scoff at now as being uh, somewhat insensitive. Um, but the proper name is OS, OASDI, which stands for Old Age, so there, there and right there is, is a problem. Uh, old Age Survivors and Disability Insurance, OASDI. Um, it is the largest income maintenance program uh, and is based on uh, social insurance principles that provides monthly benefits uh, designed to replace the loss of an income due to a retirement disability or death. Um, so that whole $144 billion isn't just for disability is the whole of um, Social Security, the whole budget um, for Social Security. Um, so workers finance this program through your payroll tax, uh, through FICA, uh, if you are an employed person, or through SECA, S-E-C-A, if you are a self-employed person, and that's what the S-E uh, stands for. And the FI stands for federal insurance. And I remember when I saw this with FICA, I remember when I first started working many, 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 many years ago. Um, and, you know, you get your first paycheck and you're all excited because you have done the math and figured out how much money you have earned for the hours that you have worked. Uh, and then that math doesn't match up with the math that's actually with the number that's actually on the check. And you start looking and, you know, it's just like, who are all of these people getting getting a piece of my money? Who is FICA? I remember asking my, my mother um, that question and, you know, 
I started working when I was like 15, 16. So, of course, you know, disability insurance, you know, it's like, I don't need that. Why do I have to have that taken out? But now that I am uh, closer to retirement age, you know, every day I inch closer, um, you know, I'm glad that I did have that put in. So, you know, I hope that once it is time for me to retire or heaven forbid, should I become disabled, those funds that I put in back from 15 to now will be available for me. So carrying on, uh, the OASDI program was started in 1935, so I want to say that was the Roosevelt administration. Uh, and at that time, it covered employees uh, in non-agricultural and commerce industries. Um, of course, over the years, um, who can get disability, you know, it has expanded, obviously. Um, and so uh, three out of five beneficiaries aged uh, 65 and older rely on uh, Social Security for about 50 percent of their income. So that is not a um, that is not an insignificant uh, contribution uh, to someone's income. Um so briefly, just some principles of the program. Um, it is a work-related program, uh, so your entitlement to these benefits and the benefit levels um, are related to your earnings in covered work. Um, and so basically covered work is any work that you do uh, in the United States of America or work that you do for an American company, even if you are living and working abroad. Um, and so that is what is, is covered work. Um, it, it, it has a um, no means test principle. And, and what that means is that the benefits are an earned right and are paid regardless of other sources of income. So now that gets a little bit tricky um, because, and, and we'll cover this in a little bit more detail later, um, these other sources of income mean that if you get, um, if you have a 401 and you're receiving income from that or if you're receiving um, rental income, you know, from a rental property, um, you know, something like that, that you still can get these benefits. You're still qualified for these benefits. Um, so that's what that no means test um, means. Uh, it is a contributory program, um, which means that the concept of an earned right is reinforced by the fact that workers make contribution to finance these benefits. So... 15-year-old Carissa was financing, was putting money in for herself, but also financing uh, the people who were currently coming onto disability programs. So it's kind of a pay-it-forward um, kind of situation that, that it's in. Um, there is a principle of uh, universal compulsory coverage. So workers at all income levels and their families have protections of this program uh, if your earnings stop or are reduced due to retirement, disability, or death. And then, of course, the last principle of the program is that the rights are clearly defined in the law. Um, and, of course, the law changes, um, you know, depending upon, you know, from administration to administration, of course. Um, but the basic principles are the same, that there is a protection within the law um, that guarantees your right to participate uh, in this program if you are a worker or a spouse or a child um, of someone who is on uh, disability. And with that, we're going to take our first break and we're going to go to commercial. And then when we come back, we'll get a little bit more into the weeds about, you know, who can get disability and about the process. This is Dr. Carissa Hines and you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. We'll be right back. 
This is fashion designer Edmund Newton. I'd like to tell you about Enmask.com. Enmask.com is my only source for non-surgical cloth masks. I've teamed up with Enmask.com to create and design a collection of limited edition masks. These masks are washable, reusable, breathable, and most importantly, fashionable. Shop online now at Enmask.com. That's E-N-M-A-S-K-S.com for quality masks made in America. Are your pet's vaccinations up to date? Just for Pets Wellness Center can help keep your pets protected from fleas, ticks, heartworms, and other nasty bugs with the latest parasite detection and prevention programs available. We offer parasite screening and prevention to the most advanced topical and chewable medications. Using our online pharmacy is affordable, safe, convenient, and provides home delivery. Visit our website for more information at www.justthenumber4petsfl.vet or give us a call at 239-270-5721. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that no matter the time of the day and no matter what day of the week, East Coast, West Coast, all points in between, we are always on. So go to your app store and download the Real 1100 app and listen wherever and whenever. The Real, Real, Real. And we are back from commercial. This is Dr. Carissa Hines, and you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. We are discussing today um, um, about disability, about applying for disability and what it is and and so forth. And so, you know, in our first segment, you know, I gave you all a little bit um, of the history of the of the program and who it helps and, and, and why it's important and such things. But now let's get into the weeds a little bit about... Um, who can benefit from this program? So basically, um, you know, to qualify, and this is what um, disability services. This is what their their um, what their what they say on their on their site. Um, to qualify, a person must be insured for benefits, which is obtained by acquiring a certain number of credits from earnings in covered employment. Um, so. And workers can acquire up to four credits per year. So basically every quarter that you work, every three months that you work, you obtain a credit um, that goes towards your uh, disability eligibility. And there's a certain number of credits that you have to have um, based upon your age at the time of your disability. Um, And that's why I'm not giving a number because it all depends upon um, when you are trying to enter into the disability system that they look back at your work history um, and your contributions and determine the number of credits that you have and if those numbers of credits are sufficient for you to participate or be eligible um, through uh, for disability. So there are some exclusions um, as to who cannot get disability. Um, so uh, federal, federal civilian employees hired before January 1st, 1984, agricultural workers and domestic workers whose earnings don't meet certain minimum requirements, persons with very low net earnings from self-employment, so people who are self-employed who make less than $400 a year, um, which, you know, that's tremendously low so I think you know most people will meet the bar there and non-resident non-immigrant aliens temporarily admitted into the United States to study teach or conduct research Um, because as I said in our first segment um, the disability program is for 
American citizens who are working for American companies or working in the United States of America and earning money um, here in the U.S. So what is disability? Like what does that what does that really mean to them? Um, because, you know, we will have different um different interpretations of what disability is. We have different interpretations as to um, being able, what, what being able to work or not being able to work, what that means. Um, but of course, this being a government agency, they have their own definition and that really is the only definition that matters when we're making these determinations. So disability is defined as the inability to engage in any very important word, any substantial gainful activity, also known as SGA, by reason of any medically determinable physical or mental impairment that can be expected to result in death or that has lasted or can be expected to last for a continuous period of not less than 12 months. So that is a very long sentence that basically says that in order to be considered disabled, you cannot participate in any gainful employment. So that means that if you, let's say you are a factory worker um, and you hurt your, let's say you hurt your back, for example, and so you can't stand on an assembly line and do work well, disability will then come and ask the question well can you do any work sitting down if the answer to that question is yes you can do some type of work while sitting then by their definition you are not disabled even though you cannot do the work that you have been doing for x amount of years or whatever work you have been actually trained to do if you can do something um, then you are technically not disabled according to to the disability services also considered um, in this is the person's age, um, their education, and their work experience. Um, so, you know, that uh, those all things that, that factor in. There is one exception to this, of course, um, and that is blindness. Um, so if you are a person who is born blind or becomes blind, that is an automatic disability um, because most things require, most jobs require some type of um, visual ability in order to do the job. So basically, if your disability is permanent, um, so you've had an illness or an impairment for greater than a continuous 12 months, um, or your condition is terminal, that helps you in terms of your qualifications. If the applicant cannot participate in a substantial gainful activity, meaningful work, um, then that, of course, goes to, to your um, eligibility. And if your impairment prevents the applicant from doing normal day-to-day -day tasks. So, <clears throat> excuse me, for example, if you are so impaired that you can't bathe yourself or you can't dress yourself, or you can't feed yourself. Those are factors that go into um, your ability to be considered disabled. Um, so it's not just about your being able to do work work, um, but being able to care for yourself um, as well, you know, plays, plays a significant part. So 
where do you start? So this is um, one of the things that that my company does um, that we help people either if you are newly starting out in the disability process and we walk you through the entire thing or if you've been through the disability process and um, have been denied for whatever reason. So we help you on both sides. Um, both sides of the of the field there. So starting for for disability. So let's say you know you are a new applicant. So each state has a disability determination services department or DDS. Um, so if you have ever been to um, a disability, if you've ever applied, you have gone or you have sent um, your application to a DDS field office. And so um, the Social Security Administration determines uh, that the applicant is insured for benefits. So remember before when we were talking about these credits from earned work. So that is the, the first place um, where your eligibility is, is tried, if you will. Um, so Social Security determines if you are actually um, eligible for the benefits so that, you know, if you have put in enough work and, you know, earned your credits for however many credits you um, are required for at that time in your life at your age and your number of years worked. Um, and so, you know, that's the first first hurdle to get over, if you will. Um, and then uh, the, if you are determined to be eligible um, for the insurance, um, then the next step is going um going further with your application. So DDS will develop um, medical evidence and make an initial determination of your disability. So what does that mean? So that is where all of the paperwork, you know, the actual application is looked at, all of the supporting documentation, also called the medical evidence, um, is uh, scrutinized and a determination is made as to whether you meet the criteria uh, for your particular impairment that you are claiming. And there are, for every impairment that you can claim, there is a set of um a set of requirements as to what you can and cannot do. Um, and those um, requirements um, are very stringent, let me just tell you, and they have to be met. Um, most of the time they have to be met, those uh, requirements have to be met in their totality. So for however many requirements there are for, let's say for back pain, you have to meet all of those criteria. And there are very few exceptions um, with this. So. In some instances, an examination, a physical examination, um, is required and requested that is separate from your medical rep records and separate from you seeing your primary care physician. Um, and so, you know, and I've, I've done those, these exams uh, in my career as well. So this type of exam is a little bit different. Um, it is a more focused exam um, that really drills in onto what you are claiming your impairment is. Um, so for example, if you are claiming uh, that you have a back injury, um, then you know the exam is going to be very, very focused and very, very intense around examining your back and what you can do and cannot do. Um, in terms of like ranges of motion um, and your ability to walk, you know, all of these things are evaluated um, in this. Um, and so, you know, or if you have, uh, you know, a problem with um, breathing, you've had a lung injury, um, then the lung exam becomes the star of the show. Um, and that is what is reported on. 
So these exams um, don't cost anything for the claimant. They are usually uh, covered by DDS. Uh, they are paid for in whatever ancillary um, supporting evidence DDS asks for. Um, that is also paid. So there's nothing out of pocket for, for the applicant or the claimant um, you know, to pay in, in doing this. And it is usually scheduled through DDS as well. So an applicant will get a packet in the mail that tells them the date, the time, and the location um, of this exam. Um, and so, you know, I don't think that there is any input from the claimant as to whether, you know, this date works for me or doesn't. Um, but of course, there are ways around that. You know, of course, communication is going to be key. Um, with that, if if that is um, if that is the case, so just a few tips for this part of your application process for the evaluation. Um, you definitely want to keep the appointment because if you don't show up, that is an automatic denial um, for you know for your claim. Period. Um, you have to communicate with your um, with your DDS. Um, worker if you need to reschedule so you know of course there are things that happen in life um, you know if you have other doctor's appointments on that day and you know it just doesn't work for whatever reason they can these exams can be rescheduled um, of course it is better if you know you know ahead of time like you know this day is in conflict with you know there's conflicts on this day um, and you call and then they can get that rescheduled so that's usually not a problem um, it becomes a little more challenging if you don't if you just don't show up and then, you know, you call back and, you know, trying to reschedule. But even that can it can be done. Um, you need to be on time for the for this evaluation because these run on a schedule and usually um, applicants are scheduled for about a 30 minute time block. So, like I said, this is a very, very intense, um, intensified uh, evaluation. Um, and so, of course, you know, if you're running behind, the next person's time comes up. And if they're there, then they're there. Um, and so you can also miss your your uh, your evaluation by not being on time um, as well. You want to bring any required materials. So when you get that packet from DDS, you want to go through it or have someone go through it for you um, and make sure that you bring everything that you need because this is your like this is your one shot. Right. So you want to make sure that you give that examiner everything that will support your claim. Um, and you want to bring any medications with you. Um, now, if you don't bring the actual pill bottles, that's fine. But you at least want to bring a list of medications because, of, of course, what um, what that evaluator is doing is building the case. Now, they are not for you and they are not against you. Um, their job is just to report what they see. So if they don't see it, they can't report it. And then, of course, um, that may or may not help your claim. So you want to make sure that you at least bring a list of your medications um, with you um, so that those things can be included in the report that that evaluator um, will complete um, to support your to support your claim. So, for example, if you have high blood pressure and you don't bring your medication with you, then the person can't necessarily report that you are taking your medications or that you're on medication because you didn't bring the list so you see how that works 
Um, and then of course you want to bring any assistive devices um, with you. And so, you know, I tell people um, that when you come for these exams, you want to show that evaluator your worst day. Okay, so, you know, because I know that it, it's counterintuitive. And when I've counseled um, some people about these exams, um, you know, they want to present their best selves to the examiner. And I'm like, no, that's not what you want to do. When you are coming for your disability physical exam, you want to show them what you are saying is your impairment. Now, a few caveats to this. So if you have very, very severe blood pressure, we do not want you to skip your medication and come in with stroke level blood pressure because that's going to scare everybody and you're going to end up going being sent to the emergency room and your examination is going to be rescheduled. Um, so, you know, take your blood pressure medicine, take your blood sugar medicine. Um, but what I mean by bring your your worst self. Um, so if you, and I hate to keep using this example, but it's a great example. If you have back pain, for example, you come in for your evaluation and you basically, because you've taken your medication and the medication helps you feel good, that you basically can twist yourself into a pretzel. You know, you can do that one-legged yoga stand. Well, that doesn't look like someone who has an impairment, right? But if you are not taking your medication or if you have to have a brace or something like that, then I see that you have to have this device in order for you to ambulate, in order for you to walk. Or if you, you know, are requiring a cane, if I ask you to squat down and come back up, if you have to depend on that cane to help bear your weight, to help you raise yourself up. That's something that I see as an evaluator, right? And I'm saying, you know, and I will report that this person cannot squat down and recover without the use of an assistive device. You see how that, how that, how that works? But if you come into the examination and you can drop it like it's hot without a, without a device, I got to report what I see. So you always want to show your examiner exactly what you are claiming. So if you have to have a brace, wear that brace that day. If you require a walker, if you require a cane, whatever it is, you want to make sure that you bring that to the evaluation because you want to show yourself exactly you know you want to show your condition exactly as it is because we all know I mean we're doctors right so we're not stupid we know that if you have an injury you're probably taking pain medication and you're going to bring your list of medications with you anyway right so we're going to see that you're taking that so you don't have to prove to us that you know with this medication you know I can leap tall buildings in a single bound we, you don't have to prove that to me I want to see how bad your situation is because that's what I need to report because that is going to, that exam coupled with your medical records from your primary care physician or your specialist, your surgical reports, whatever it is, those two things together are going to be a powerful statement on your behalf as to what your true impairment is. Now, from there, once those things are put together, then it goes to um, 
it goes to someone who is going to look at all of the medical evidence and apply those criteria that I was talking about a few minutes ago um, and see, do you meet all of the criteria? Are you checking all of the boxes? Um, and so then, then a determination is made um, based upon um, based upon that. So you want to demonstrate to the best of your ability, you want to demonstrate your impairment um, because that is what's going to be documented. So we are going to take a quick commercial break once again, and then we will be back and we will talk about um, what happens if you are denied your, your disability. This is Dr. Carissa Hines, and you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. We'll be right back. Rejuvenation for youthfulness and beauty is trending worldwide. People are getting laser hair removal, Botox, dermal fillers, skin brightening, tightening, lifting, and reshaping. SmartPlex ATL, a comprehensive medical spa located in East Cobb, 4799 Old Town Parkway. You can also visit us online at SmartPlexATL.com. Dr. Alexander and his team enjoy pampering you while you receive customized treatments in a beautiful, calming, zen-like atmosphere. SmartPlex ATL, we are your Hollywood destination for exciting, youthful rejuvenation. Just for Pets Wellness Center reminds old-fashioned health listeners and pet owners to never leave pets unattended inside a parked vehicle, not even for a quick errand. Temperatures can rise to dangerous levels fast. Visit our website for more information at www.just4petsfl.vet or give us a call at 239-270-5721. This is Alvin. And this is Edmund. On, on the, the Old Fashioned Health, Health Show. Show. Tune in each Friday from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. And listen to us live on iHeartRadio or the Real 1100 app. Where we talk about healthy information, products, and or services. And get some old school music in. On the Real 1100. Dr. Carissa Hines, and this is Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. I was listening to that song, Stop, Look, and Listen. Listen to your heart, hear what it's saying. That's a that's just a lovely song. But as it applies to disability, you do want to, you want your examiner to stop, look, and listen, right? Um, and hear whatever your body is, is, is saying. So last segment, we were talking about, um, you know, making the application and having to go in uh, for the examination 
um, if if that is required of you. Um, now, excuse me. Now, I will say um, that there are sometimes that there is additional like as a part of this um, application, when you go to your evaluator, um, there may be other things that are required. Um, they may require you to have independent x-rays. Um, they may require lab work or other testing. So when I did these exams um, many years ago, um, there would be, you know, we would have to do the x-rays, we would have to do the blood work, and sometimes we would have to do pulmonary function testing. Um, and we would do all of those things um, in the office um, as according to, you know, whatever was requested of DDS. And again, you would have all of these um, services performed and it would be of no charge to the applicant, to the claimant. Um, but DDS would cover would cover the cost um, of these things. So let's say you go through all of this. So you have passed the eligibility, that first question of, you know, have you worked enough and have enough credits in order to um, get this, this benefit? So that answer is yes. So and then you go and, you know, you have your full application done, your medical records reviewed, you have an exam, and then you get that dreaded letter saying that you have been denied. So what happens then? So, um... You always want to have um, the question, why were you denied? And there are a lot of reasons um, for that. So, of course, the most obvious reason is that you didn't meet those criteria um, that the adjudicator was looking at and looking for and comparing your situation to those those requirements and you didn't meet and therefore um, you are not rated as a disabled person. Um, but there are other reasons as well. So um, the first reason is the lack of solid medical evidence. Um, so your medical records must show that your impairment interfered with your ability to work. Um, and then your, your medical records from your primary care physician or specialist um, should discuss how your impairment interferes with your ability to work. Um, there should be doctor's notes. Um, excusing you from work because of this impairment um, or recommendations for a modified work schedule or work duties. So for example, if you injure yourself and you go see your doctor and your doctor puts you on light duty or desk duty, um, you know, those things need to be documented um, as well. And then there also has to be a record of the time missed from work because remember when I told you about um, that 12 month period, um, so it doesn't mean that you have to be out of work for 12 months, but that you have to demonstrate this impairment for a period, for a continuous 12 months. So let's dive deeper um, into, into this part with the lack of solid medical evidence. So back in our very, very first show, um, I talked about advocating for yourself um, and communicating with your doctor. So this is where this is where that skill comes in, um, because if you go to your doctor and say, you know, well, I come in because my back is hurting. You have to share with your doctor how you hurt your back. Right. Because now that becomes a part of your medical record. That becomes a part of the medical evidence that someone like me will need in order to support your claim for disability. So, you know, when you um, are even calling to get your doctor's appointment, what you want to say is, 
I hurt my back at work and I need to be evaluated because you want to you want to be that steady drip of water that is saying the same thing over and over and over again. I hurt my back at work. 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 That needs to be your song every time you see your doctor for this back pain. And again, this is just an example. But whatever the case may be, um, you know, you want to be um, persistent and repetitive because every time you say that to your doctor, it goes into your medical record. And should you pursue disability down the road, it's already there. There's a historical account of, you know, this person has been coming to me complaining of back pain from an injury since 2013. Well, now it's 2020. So you've got seven years of evidence that, you know, you've had back pain and all of the things that you've done. So all of the medication and all of the therapies and, you know, maybe an evaluation from surgery and all, you know, you've, you've built your case. Um, but, you know, if you come into the doctor and you're, you're scant, then your record is going to be scant. And then that's going to be even more difficult for someone like me to help you to support your claim for disability. So, um, when, so when we're building this, so now here, the next thing, um, that your application is not well developed. And what do we mean by that? Um, we mean that it is incomplete. So the application, the initial application that you have to fill out and send to DDS, that has to be complete. So if you are not good at filling out forms, you might want to enlist someone to help you fill that form out. Of course, you're gonna to have to include their name on the application if they filled it out for you or they helped you in any way. Um, and, and that's one of those things that just tries to prevent any fraudulent type stuff. Um, but anyway, so if it's incomplete, of course, that's an automatic denial because you haven't you haven't submitted all of the all of the information. You haven't filled out the paperwork in its entirety. So you know that's not going to go anywhere, and you basically wasted your time. Um, and then you've been denied. And these denials do stay like you get kind of a file, if you will. And so you will have that you applied and were denied, applied and were denied, applied and were denied. So they keep a record of that. So, um, you know, you want to make sure, and the reason why you were denied um, goes into that file as well. So you want to make sure um, that you have all of your stuff together when you present this. Now, that may not prevent you from being denied, and we'll talk about, we'll talk about the appeals process. But at the same time, you know, it, it's, you, you want to do all that you can to, positively support your application for disability if it is improperly filled out um, you know that's self-explanatory or if it is lacking medical evidence so you know I tell people um, before you apply for disability you need to let all of your doctors know that you are applying for disability so that way they can know when they get that request that the records need to be sent because if you have sent your part in, but your doctor has not sent in any of your medical records, guess what? There's no medical evidence to support your claim. So guess what? Your claim is going to be denied. So you want to make sure that you keep a good record of every doctor that you see, because every doctor that you see will need to send in medical records, which will become the medical evidence to support your claim for disability. 
And then also you can follow up. You as the applicant can follow up with your, um, you know, with your DDS worker to say, you know, hey, have I received, have y'all received um, the medical records from Dr. Hines? And then you call the office and say, you know, hey, you know, this is really important. Um, DDS is saying they have not received um, you know, you know, the medical records. Um, you know, can you go ahead and send that? Um, because, again, you want to make sure that you are on top of everything that is happening um, with your application. So don't just send the stuff in and just think that, poof, you know, this magically is going to come together. You want to be proactive um, about your application as well. Um, and so the next part of why you could be denied is for failure to follow treatment. So remember when I talked about um, you go into the exam and you have to, and DDS is requiring you to have an x-ray or have a lab test. Well, if you don't get those things done, so even if everything else is there, but you don't get those things done, denial. So you see how very easy it is to earn a denial, right? Um, so because if all of the medical evidence is not there, then the examiner cannot determine your impairment or if your impairment truly prevents you from working. Um, and so, you know, those additional studies, get them done. Get them done and make sure that they, um, you know, that they get to where they need to be. Failure to cooperate. So that sounds... That sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? Because if you are applying, why wouldn't you be cooperative with the application process? But here is, is what they mean by that. Um, a failure to provide the Social Security office with requested documentation. Uh, failure to show up for scheduled medical exams. Um, that is what, you know, that's what failure to cooperate. That's what that means. And then the last part is that the applicant doesn't have enough work history to meet the work credit requirements. So there's really nothing that can be done um, for that because if you don't have enough work history, um, then that makes it um, challenging for you to be eligible for this program um, because that's one of the rules, right? So how do we handle denial? So you have the right to appeal an unfavorable decision. Um, it, there's a four-step process um, with this. So you've done your application, you've had your exam, everything's been sent, you get that disappointing letter saying that you have been denied. You can make a request for reconsideration. Now, I do not recommend that you make this request on your own. So here is where someone like myself and, and my company, this is what we do. So what I do when you've had a denial, I look through all of what they have been sent. Um, I look through all of your medical evidence and I pull out evidence that will support your claim. So the evidence was there, but it may not have been seen because it wasn't highlighted per se, right? So I find all of those little small things that make the difference um, in showing your true impairment and I write up an appeals letter and I present my evidence um, that is already there you know in your medical records and submit you know I, I basically make the case for you that based upon this 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 and this um, as evidenced by the visit on these dates 
this therapy, whatever it is, that this person does meet um, the criteria. Um, sometimes I am successful with that. And, you know, sometimes, um, sometimes not. So that is the first step. When you request reconsideration, you definitely want to get, um, get someone who is an expert uh, in dealing with the appeals process to help you. You don't just want to just do that one alone. Um, because going it alone, um, most of the time you will get another denial. Um, so the second step is a hearing before an administrative law judge. And if that doesn't work, you can uh, request a review by an appeals counsel. And if that doesn't work, uh, you can file a civil suit in federal district court. Uh, now, uh, steps two, three, and four will require an attorney to help you with that. Um, and, you know, sometimes attorneys will work with physicians such as myself uh, to give an independent uh, expert opinion, and I'm happy to do that as well. Um, but they present it, um, and they, they present it from the standpoint of what the law says. Um, which is something that, you know, that's not my, that's not my wheelhouse. Um, but, you know, again, doctors can work with attorneys and frequently do um, to help, to help uh, get you a favorable decision. So now, sometimes, I, now I've been asked this question um, quite a bit, um, you know, is it better to appeal or to reapply? So it, I say it all depends. So if you are making a new claim, but you're presenting the same evidence, then you have basically wasted your time um, because that is, you know, that's going to be denied because you haven't presented anything new that, you know, that may meet the criteria. So it is always better if you don't have either a new claim of disability. So now if you did a disability application for your back, but now you have lung problems, yes, you should do a new application because you have a new claim and there will be new evidence that will be uh, gathered and presented to support that claim. But if you are denied for back pain, you should go with the appeal process. Um, and then, you know, new evidence can be brought in there too if it was not received or was not requested. Um, but it is for the same claim. So if you've been denied once, you always should appeal and then go through that appeal process. Um, but a new claim should be for a, a new statement of impairment. So I will tell you um, about 30%, only 30% of initial claims are, uh, are approved. So 70% of those 2 million new applications I was telling you about earlier, 70% of those will be, um, will be denied um, and will have to go through, um, will be recommended to go through the appeals process. So when you are doing this, you know, even though you have done everything that I've just told you to do, um, you know, you still need to be prepared to go through an appeals process. So a couple of questions here. So one question that I get also um, is, can I work if I receive disability? So that is a yes, but. So there is a limit to the amount of money that you can earn if you are also receiving a disability. Now, this is not including um, those other sources of income. So for example, if you, if you are getting a 401 
401k benefit, you know, if you're pulling from that retirement, um, that income is safe because that is not something that you are actively working for. But if you're actively working, you know, doing a small thing, but you're on disability, but you can do this, they have what they call a trial period where you can try to work and you can earn money for about nine months, I think it is. Um, And then, you know, they look at that period and, you know, how did you do? Were you able to engage in that SGA um, during that time? Um, But um, if you earn more than, I think it's $880 a month, um, then that overage will be deducted from your disability payment. So your disability check amount will be reduced. So yes, you can, but it may not it may not be helpful um, for you to do that. So, um, you know, there are two types of disability. So there is SSI, which is the financial uh, support, the income replacement or income um, supplement um, part. And then there's SSDI, which is the insurance piece. And so, you know, you are disabled and cannot work. And therefore, we're going to give you um, Medicaid to support you. So that way you can at least go and see the doctors for these impairments that you have. Um, and so with SSDI, with the insurance part, your, um, your income doesn't factor in uh, as much as when you are, are um, pursuing that. So all righty, we are going to, so that is what I have to present for disability. Um, I hope that this has been helpful and informative um, to you. And as I said, you know, Freeman Mora Medical Consultants is a disability expert consultant firm. That is my business. Uh, And we are happy and ready, willing and able um, to help you. So even if you just have just a question, um, you know, just shoot me a question on on the Facebook page, uh, Freeman Mora Medical Consultants. And, you know, I'll be happy to see what we can do for you. So we are going to segment now into our vitamin C. And our vitamin C today is about individualism. So every day and everywhere we look, we get cues that we aren't enough in one way or another, right? So, you know, everywhere that's telling you, you know, you can be taller, you can be thinner, your teeth can be whiter, you can raise your children better, you know, all of these things that people, you know, not people, but, you know, messages are are telling us, you know, be thinner, look like this, you know, have lustrous hair if you use this product. And so you get the message, right? So, you know, listening, we literally receive programming to be everything and anything other than what we have because, or than what we are, than our authentic selves, right? Because you see this gorgeous supermodel and she looks good in her clothes and she's like, wow, you know, I want to be like her, right? But you know, the truth of the matter is she doesn't even look like her because all of the airbrushing and, you know, all of that stuff that goes into it. So, and, and, and makeup, it does wonders. Let me just tell you. So anyway, when was the last time you saw or heard a commercial that said, you're great just the way you are. Well, they'll be out of business because no one would buy their products. But still, you understand where I'm saying, right? We don't get that message that you're just fabulous just the way you are. Now, we are now see that, you know, we are um, affirming ourselves and affirming our circles with, you know, you're great just the way you are. But there are still there's still that bombardment of these messages. So I came to this vitamin C this week after I read a quote from St. Therese of Lisieux, 
who was a French nun. She became a nun at the age of 15, which is wow. But anyway, um, and she's also known as the little flower or the little flower of Jesus. And her quote is, if every tiny flower wanted to be a rose, spring would lose its loveliness. So everybody doesn't need to be a rose. Tulips are great too, right? That's what I get from that. And, and, I, and I hope that you all are encouraged um, to love yourself just as you are, because you are wonderful. This has been, again, the best hour of my week. And I thank you so much for joining me. This is Dr. Carissa Hines, and you have joined us on Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. I hope you tune in with us next week. And until then, be good to yourselves, be good to one another. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. This is Dr. Carissa. Thanks for joining me this week on Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Join me next week for more comfortable yet in-depth conversation. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to another Old Fashioned Health Network show on The Real 1100.